Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2016. This is Rowan talking about Step 1. Hi everyone, and I'm an alcoholic. This is uh, amazing to be here. I get 20 minutes of practicing to speak in my slowest voice possible so that people can understand me. I'm also really happy we're not doing step three because I have to say three all the time. Um, I had my first drink when I was 12 years old. Um, and from since then until the 25th of June 2014, I drank all the time. Not all the time in the sense that you know, I didn't drink every day or whatever, but drinking was a massive part of my life, you know. At this stage, hopefully you've guessed I'm Irish. And, um, you know, growing up in Ireland, it was sort of the acceptable thing, you know. I mean, they talk about people in Ireland, not so much now, it's getting more, but, you know, alcoholics is almost, yeah, he's got a drinking problem, you know, but there was a real stigma against it in Ireland. You know, my dad was an alcoholic, that's not why I'm an alcoholic either. So the last thing I ever wanted to become was an alcoholic, that was the last thing I was ever going to be, was an alcoholic. So... Again, similar to, to Jeff's story, you know, I was playing football when I was young, Gaelic football, and I was, I was quite good at it, I guess, for a time. And um, so that kept me away from drink for a piece, in one sense, and that, you know, you'd be training, you'd be playing a match, you wouldn't be drinking. But um, when I eventually came into the program and admitted I was an alcoholic, um, my friend's dad said to me, who, who's in the program as well, he said, um, do you remember when you were 16, uh, and I said to you, you know, mind yourself, you know, you're going to be an alcoholic or you are an alcoholic. And I, I had no idea of the question. I had no idea of the answer. And, you go, and I go, no way will I do that because my dad's an alcoholic. I know what it does. There's no way I'm going to do that. But, you know, obviously he was able to see the signs a lot before. He was able to see the signs a lot before I was able to see the signs. So, you know, again, it, it sort of progressed my drinking career in the sense that um, I went to university. I actually took pride in being mental, which... Um, <laughs> You know, now I see that. At the time, I didn't. You know, I used to love the fact that I was able to drink and party hard. I was good at it. It was something I was good at. It's, you know, it's good to be good at things. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was able to drink most people under the table. You know, like, again, you know, other stuff were part of my story as well. Not so much, but, you know, there's been days, two, three days of drinking, no problem. And, um, I mean, that's not normal. But in your 20s, early 20s, you can sort of get away with it because... Everyone started doing it to a degree, you know. Um, but now I look back on it, I was powerless from the beginning. I mean, like, it all culminated, right? It's essentially 2000, and I got married in July 6th, 2013. And went to South America for six months at Christmas. And, you know, before then, I was a, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I had a job, and I was able to very early discover that I can't, going to work and teach kids hungover, right? That was very, very early I was able to figure that out. So that kept me sober in one sense because um, I wasn't able to drink all the time. You know, I wasn't able to go out and party all the time because I was very, I was after discovering, no way was I an alcoholic, but I knew I, there was something I wasn't drinking like normal people. I couldn't have a beer and go home. Or the odd occasion, you know, not even odd occasion, I'd often have four pints and go home. But the only reason I go home is because my mates were going home. I'd go home begrudgingly because I didn't want to come across like an alcoholic, even though deep down, you know, I probably knew I was, or I, I definitely had issues with alcohol. So that kept me sober for, for a long time. And also, you know, when I did get drunk and go out of control, my um, 
no ex-wife, I get, think that's a common theme tonight. Uh, my no ex-wife, uh, you know, she'd get pissed off at me, rightly so. And um, so that would keep me under control. So all his control was coming external to me. You know, I didn't have control. You know, my job was keeping me sober for a time or not drinking. Not even sober. I, I never actually tried to give up drinking before I came into AA. You know, I, I tried to control my drinking for sure. But I never tried to give it up because I didn't think I was an alcoholic um, until I came here. So it was coming from all these external factors. You know, it was coming from the fact my ex was pissed off at me. It was coming from the fact that, you know, I got work tomorrow and if I go drinking, I can't drink. You know, it was coming from the fact I didn't want to be seen as the total disgrace. You know, shame, public shame and humiliation was not one of my, you know, aspirations, but I often got that, you know. We used to have a joke in college, you know, you just leave your dignity at the door, you know. It was like a jacket thing. I was proud of that back then, but obviously... As you progress, it's okay at 18, 22, whatever, but it's not so good at 32, you know? It doesn't look, look the part so much. So, you know, I, I kept drinking and went to South America, had a good bit of money, no responsibility. Um, you could probably guess what's going to happen. The wheels fell off, you know? And even then, I wasn't drinking all the time. You know, I, I, I still wanted to do so because, you know, I did want to travel. I did want to see these things. But I've since discovered I was terrified of absolutely everything, you know. And I was a scared little boy about everything. And I wouldn't always drink, but I always knew when the next drink was coming. I always knew when, uh, you know, three weeks' time there's going to be a party and I can go and get pissed because I won't have drank for the previous three weeks. So if I do go and get pissed and make a disgrace myself, I can't get any slack for it. So I was giving myself excuses even before I realized... I was an alcoholic. And, you know, the obsession. I mean, you, I think it's already been mentioned, you know, drink running out. It's such a relief now to not have to be going to, like, go to a party, just rock up, you know, maybe bring something for the horse. But before, I literally almost have to have a little, like, trailer with me to bring all the drink with me, you know? <laughs> you know, seriously, and then it, oh, what happens if this runs out? Oh, my God, where are we going to go then? All this thought and effort, it's actually exhausting. You know, it's so, so, so tiring. And all that mental, mental obsession, that mental energy that's, you know, now gone into loads of other things. You know, I suddenly discovered, I, like, I have loads of hobbies and stuff, and, you know, it's fun. Whereas all this before was going into this other thing. And I was also trying to do all this other stuff as well, so it was really exhausting, because I was trying to live two lives. I was trying to live this life that I wanted, this life I wanted, but this other life kept kept being there, you know, it was, it, was, it was a duality within myself that, you know, I came, came to understand when I admitted I was an alcoholic. So I was in South America, drinking, you know, drinking had gotten worse, my ex had contacted my family, you know, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, I, I was, like, trying to not drink or not try to drink, but, you know, trying to behave and went on the absolute piss for Paddy's day. As you do, and the next morning I woke up and I didn't even think. Just literally went up to get breakfast, like someone said, and just went in and got a drink because I couldn't. I was in the horrors, and, and I didn't even think of the consequences. And my ex saw me, and I always remember the look in her eyes, and I just, you could just tell she was broken. And, um, yeah, that was more or less the end, really. It lasted about another month and a half. She hung around. But uh, that was it, really. And um, that was possibly the best thing that ever happened to me 
Um, actually, it was because otherwise I wouldn't be here today, you know. Um, I can say that now. I couldn't say that for a good year, you know. I mean, it was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me for a good year, but that's okay. Because it made me confront myself and who I was. You know, I, I went on the absolute piss for about 30 days. My poor mate, I, I've apologized to him over the phone since we live somewhere else now. And when, he, when I see him next, he's going to get a couple of nice steak dinners for sure. Um, you know, he sort of minded me for about a, a month. And this is, imagine how insane this was, right? I hadn't seen my ex. She was coming to Rio. We were sort of flying out. I had this sort of opportunity to get it together. Had a few drinks because I was nervous. And then I went to meet her, and she was late, and I ended up getting pissed. And, yeah, so whatever, you know, hope there was was gone. Not that I don't think it would have worked out anyway, to be honest. But that's how insane it was, that I had that opportunity, and I got drunk. I didn't get, I didn't, you know, like maybe I could have rescued it then, and, you know, I think it's for the best now anyway, like I said. But that one opportunity, and all my thought was drink. So, but luckily for me, I had um, stayed in a... Possibly the worst hotel I've ever imagined in my life. I don't even call it a hotel. In Bolivia, you know, there was like literally that much deep piss in the toilet and there were stains on the bed that definitely weren't mine. And You know, I was in that room for three days drinking. This is just after my wife had left and we'd gone to Bolivia, myself and my friend. And um, I was able to admit then I was an alcoholic, you know. I admitted it. But I didn't know what to do at this stage. I really didn't know what to do. Um... But I knew I just needed to get home. But I kept drinking because I didn't know what else to do. I was powerless. So I, didn't, I couldn't face reality. That was scary. So I kept drinking and smoking myself to death. And, um, you know, I went to the World Cup in, in Brazil. And people were like, oh, that's amazing. And I love football or soccer, as I call it. I don't remember anything. I remember stuff, but it wasn't very enjoyable. I was in a dark, dark, dark place. And I went home to Ireland, and I drank for two days. And my mother, who's lived with a few alcoholics... God bless her, um, um, said, I'm not living with another alcoholic. And I said, yeah, no more problem, I'm going to go to A. And we went to go to a meeting that night. And that was the 24th of June. Actually, that, w- that should have been my sobriety date, but while I was in the doctor's waiting to go in and see the doctor, I told my mother I had to go to the toilet and went to the bottle shop and drank two beers. Um, <laughs> as you do... Um, and I went in and I told the doctor I was an alcoholic and he put me on some tablets. I don't know what they were. And um, I went to some meetings in Ireland. I went to two weeks in Ireland and I really wanted, my mother really, really wanted me to stay in Ireland and go to rehab. But you know, my life was back here really. I had a job waiting for me. I had six months leaving. Because I had done so well at running the other 32 years, 33 years of my life, I decided that you know, I knew best and I was going to go back to Australia <laughs> because I got it so right. But um, luckily, um, my brother's also in this program, and uh, he said, um, you know, do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I'm not saying you have to do that, because right, it's not in the big book, but that's what he taught me to do. And for once in my life, I actually listened to people. And um, I came back, and I, I just got a sponsor, and I just started going to meetings, and it made a massive difference. You know, my sponsor said to me, um, you know, okay, you're an alcoholic, but the unmanageability bit, it's like, you know, how did that happen? And he uses, I don't know if some of you may have heard it, he used the analogy of a frog in boiling water, and and then um, you get the water and you put the frog in and, you know, you heat it up really, really slowly. And over time, it starts getting really hot and the frog is getting cooked. But the frog didn't notice because the water was so gradual. The change was so gradual. And that was my, that was my life. You know, my, my thought pattern was insane. 
you know? I, I've since discovered serenity, and it's amazing. I couldn't even spell it, you know? Um, like, the thought of sitting on a beach for two days terrified me. I always said it because I can't, you know, I don't like being, I like being active. I now realize it's because I was going to be in my own head for two days, which was insane to me, terrifying, you know? I've since realized that, but before I am... Um, I didn't, you know, I've actually done a 10-day silent retreat since, which, you know, if you ever want to be in your own head for a while, do that. And um, I was able to do that, and that's because of this program. But I was that frog, you know, my, my ex-wife, um, you know, they say, you know, say oh, she, she doesn't understand me, blah, 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 blah. She understood me better than I understood myself. She said that she compared me to an egg. When I, was, when I wasn't drinking, I was like a hard-boiled egg because I was trying to control it. Now, since then, I've discovered this because I've learned about control. I was trying to control absolutely everything. You know? And if things didn't go right, I was just getting stressed and more stressed and more stressed and more stressed. And then because, obviously, I couldn't control people, places, or things, I'd eventually go, F you all, and be like a smashed egg. And she was so right. And she, you know, she didn't know anything about AA. But since I've used that analogy in meetings and I've compared it to myself, and that's what I was. I was controlling, because it wasn't just, alcoholism for me wasn't just the drinking, it was my behaviors. You know, I was trying to control absolutely everything. And that's exhausting for any relationship, for anyone, you know. And um, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person that controls, because that's the obsession of the mind that everything has to be my way, you know. That's, and that's the amazing thing that AA has given me. It's given me freedom from that. It's given me freedom of trying to control absolutely everything because I'm no longer scared you know um, the thought of getting up here wasn't you know I just sort of rocked up I read the 12 by 12 before I came and I just said I speak from the heart you know and the, I was lucky in the sense I was given the gift of desperation because when you look and you're 33 years old and you look okay I, you know we did actually love each other at, at a time but you know it ended up being an, an AA relationship which was codependent as opposed to the hate, which I've discovered since, is you're independent. It's a good analogy, my friend Tom. <laughs> you know, eh, you're leaning on each other. Um, but there was love there. Obviously, otherwise we wouldn't have been together for five years, you know? But it became so warped due to alcohol because it controlled my life, you know? And I was powerless over it. And to be 33 years old and a woman you loved... And who loved me, but it wasn't going to work. We left. If that's not a sign that, you know, you've messed the whole thing up and something's wrong, then, then I don't know what is. So I was very, very, very lucky to get the gift of desperation. And I just applied myself to this program, and, and it's made an amazing difference in my life. You know, I've always searched for something. I just, as I said to people, I searched in all the wrong places, drink, women, and, you know, drugs. Just searched. I was always searching for something. And... And luckily for me, I, you know, I now realize that I was searching for a connection with my higher power, you know. And it's true AA that I've, I've found that. And it's amazing. It's, you know, it just keeps getting better and better and better. And, and the doors keep opening. And the rooms keep getting bigger and filled with light. And that's only because I, I moved away from the darkness. You know, the alcohol was darkness. You know, it says in the big book, it gives you wings and then it takes away the sky. And, and that was definitely the case, um, you know. I, too, to the world, seemed like I had it all. You know, I had a good job. I was living in Australia. I just got married. Inside, I was a hollow shell. And, you know, I didn't know how to function in the world because I was scared. And the reason I was scared is because, you know, 
there was an emptiness inside me and I got that in AA. But before that, the only way I was able to get that was alcohol. And that's why I was, you know, powerless over it because that was, that was my power. I mean, it's been said, not here tonight, but it's, I've definitely heard it in meetings. You know, I, my power was alcohol and the only way I knew how to be comfortable in my own skin was through alcohol. And then, you know, the obsession just, it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And um, speaking of rolling, I've run out of things to say. I'm repeating myself, so I'll leave it there. Thank you.